You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. We celebrated Easter last week um, after a long Lent and an intense Holy Week. If, If you haven't heard, Holy Week is this really intense kind of opportunity to walk with Jesus through death and resurrection. And some of, about 750 of us participated in that as a circle of hope this year. And when it was all over, um, on Sunday night and over the next couple of days last week, some of my people who had really done it, you know, who had really taken Lent seriously and like, you know, got to the Holy Week observances, a lot of them just felt kind of like wiped out, kind of like in this weird liminal space. And and it was really reminding me of how the disciples felt after the resurrection. It was kind of like, well, what's next? What, what, now what? You know, there's this, they felt this kind of letdown and uncertainty. What do we do next? And I think, This is where the real work of the Christian life begins, in that liminal kind of what's next space. After Jesus' resurrection, the world was changed. It is changed. But what does that mean for us? Like, how do we really get into that? And how do we get into it in a new way right now with where we each are at and where we're at as a church? We say that resurrection life is like our whole thing, but what does that look like? And so Jesus gave us some instructions after his ascension um, that I want to explore with you today. I'm sure many of you have heard it before, Um, but we'll look at it again because I think it gets to the heart of that, like, what's next? Now what question? It gets to our mission our main mission and purpose as Jesus followers and as a church. So let me read it for you. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's normal, no worries. Jesus can handle that doubt, it's all part of the journey. And that's why he assures them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the first word that strikes me there is that word go, and I put it, in capital letters, because I think Jesus is saying, you can't stay here. He's saying, get out of here. You can't stay in the same place that you are right now. None of us can. We have to do something different. The resurrection changes everything. And Jesus was telling his disciples, you have to move, and you have to do it for the sake of others. That's what it's all about. And I think that's the tension we feel in this liminal space. 
This great thing has happened. It's been a long time coming, but we barely even know how to process it and how to receive it, right? And here's Jesus telling us to go include somebody else in it. And I imagine the disciples were like, what, you know, what the heck? Hold on. We're just, we're just processing this, Jesus. We're, you know, this just happened. Give us a minute. And Jesus is, is like, no. You have to move, and you have to do it for the sake of others. I think it's, I'm, I'm glad um, Robert said it's not logical, because um, I do think in, in, our, in our minds, at least in the individualism that we swim in and that we have been taught, it makes much more sense to sit right down on top of that mountain with Jesus and, like, start a group, maybe about the Enneagram. That's so popular right now, and don't get me wrong, I love the Enneagram. But just to sit down and figure out how this resurrection thing can kind of like promote our self-actualization, you know? How we can just get better for ourselves. And don't we need time to process? You know, I'm a therapist, so I really actually get in. We do need time to process. I'm into that. And shouldn't we be experts in something before we talk about it? And isn't it coercive, Jesus, to make disciples? You know, isn't that like some kind of illegal manipulation? We don't want to infringe on anybody's rights, and we certainly don't want to look like Trump supporters if we say that we're Christians. So we have lots of good reasons for camping out on top of that mountain, making a nice fire, cracking a cold one, and just kind of hanging out. And I think we swim, we swim in those waters of individualism, and we're, and we're like... We're uh, tempted to that at each stage in our journey. But I think the resurrection of Jesus cracks this big hole in the lie that individual happiness will make us happy. Because Jesus says, go and make disciples. But he gives us two promises here that I think make all the difference in the world. And that is that all authority has been given to him and so we don't have to be afraid of other powers or even the resistance that we face in our own hearts, um, you know, in our frustration with ourselves sometimes. And he also promises that he's going to be with us together. We don't have a mission alone. It's not on any one of our shoulders to redeem the whole world. Jesus is doing that through us together. So I want to tell you three stories of how it's happening among us. Um, The pastors agreed today to to tell stories of unlikely inclusion in the church. Um, And they all happen to be women. So they're going to be like our women at the tomb this morning. I have this icon um, in my house to remind me every day that God specializes in the unlikely, and the impossible. And all three of these women that I want to tell you about did not grow up in the church. And that, by the way, is becoming a more common scenario in our context. You know, I think more and more people have not grown up in the church. And I think that opens up an even bigger opportunity for people to, like, actually meet Jesus without without the baggage um, 
that can be picked up. So the first woman, I'm just going to call her E here tonight. She grew up in this real smart atheist household. Her dad had been really turned off by church as a kid because his questions weren't allowed. There was no space for questions. And so he became a good professor of sociology, and he raised these very um, progressive and socially conscious, brilliant daughters. Um, And he raised them to despise the stupidity of religion. But then my friend started dating a Christian in college. And he brought her to Circle of Hope. And she asked to get coffee with me years ago, and she had lots of questions that I mostly couldn't answer. And I was honest about that. And I said, I said, I don't know when I didn't know. Because not everything about faith and relating to God can be like explained as a proof, right? And so years went by, and she and her boyfriend got more serious. She also struggled with more anxiety. And then one day, she was on a plane, coming back from an audition from her quite uh, prestigious musical career, and she literally heard a voice say to her, marry Christ before you marry her boyfriend's name. And she had never heard a phrase like that, and so she knew that she could not have possibly made it up in her own mind. And so she figured out, she figured that it must be God, and she decided to obey. And so in our Easter meeting last year, she shared about how she had made kind of this cognitive decision in that moment to try and follow Jesus and give her life to God. But she, what she didn't expect was that it would like sink into her heart and she would start to like actually love people that were hard to love. And she started to recover from some of her anxiety because God was showing her how to trust him. And she started to grow our little cell group and disciple other, other people. And, and she went through a dry season this year like many of us do. But at the, the Maundy Thursday meeting where we celebrate the Last Supper last week, she let one of our cellmates wash, wash her feet, even though she's an introvert and that's such a weird thing to do anyway, to have your feet washed. She let it happen and she said it revived her. And so that's my friend E at the tombs. She's saying, what the heck, (laughs) again, um, she's not a likely candidate for being part of the church. Not having everything figured out, but she's including others anyway, just by being part of a cell. So that's one, one story of how I think we can do, we can be part, yeah, we can be part of the mission that Jesus is calling us to. So um, another woman at the tomb in my life, I'm not going to, you'll just have to meet these people like in person someday. Um, She, I'm going to call her Elle here today. She also grew up in a very smart, progressive atheist home. She came out as queer at one point and that was fine with her parents but she still has not told them that she's a Christian because 
she really doesn't think that's going to be cool. And she started coming to our, our meetings with her partner last year, and um, she felt a lot of emotion that she didn't expect to feel. She's one of those really steady people um, that, that other people kind of lean on emotionally. And um, suddenly she was feeling all these feelings in our meetings and it kind of flooded her and she describes it now as love, as Jesus calling her. With all the love of the spirit in our, in our community, like it's here, like here in this room. And it kind of cracked her open. And so it's been a, a real joy to hear her questions over the past year, like, how do I pray? What do I say to God? Um, and she leads among us as an art director with this simple profundity because she's actually, like, relating, you know, it's the, it's the kind of, like, authentic quietude that comes from actually relating to God. And she keeps stepping out in faith, taking these risks, um, I love this picture because of her yesterday, because one of her favorite songs is um, You Call Me Out Upon the Waters, that great unknown where feet may fail. This whole thing with Jesus is like so new. And one of the things that keeps her moving is that she feels Jesus' partnership in bearing the burdens of others around her as a social worker. She doesn't have to bear everything alone anymore, and she's feeling that. So one more, one more story of unlikely inclusion in the church. Um, my friend Jay, oh gosh, sorry. My friend Jay is here at the tomb, too. Um, she saw us grilling out on the sidewalk at, at 2212, the spot I'm usually at on Sundays, um, when we first bought our building two years ago. And she, she thought we looked fairly interesting and friendly, so she made this mental note that she would check us out someday. And that, that thought even surprised her because she grew up in a Jewish home. And, um, but she left that to figure things out on her own. And in fact, she left home and her expensive private school at 16 um, because her surgeon dad was an addict and her mom kind of enabled him and um, kind of emotionally starved her. And in fact, when she went to get her stuff after leaving home at 16, she went back to get her stuff and her parents had locked the doors and her mom was like yelling at her through the window. And so she, event she eventually got into sex work out, out there, out here on her own. Um, the professional kind where you make a lot of money. And she didn't expect to be still tied to it, you know, years later. It's a dark underworld that's hard to get out of. And um, you can even get into it with the illusion that you're in charge as a woman, even as a feminist but you're not in charge. And that's what she's working with now. And so after a year or so, she finally opened up to our cell about her struggle and um, trying to get out of an abusive relationship. And our cell has supported her 
in that and accepted her. And slowly, slowly, she's letting the love of Christ in. And of course, it's not been this like completely linear movement to the light. I think none of our, none of our journeys are like totally linear. But um, she tears up now talking about how, how, how amazed she is by the love of our cell crew. And she's not very comfortable tearing up or having, having any kind of feelings at all. In fact, she often says... Um, how much easier her life was before she cared about anybody or anything or felt anything. But that's the work of the Spirit getting through. So she's there at the tomb looking for Jesus and finding him in our circle of hope. In all, in all three of these women's lives, I can see that all authority has been given, given to Jesus, just like he said. So I, I love this promise that he gives to us. And it, it's not that our community is so perfect, because you know it's not, or that, like, I've been a fabulous friend and pastor and said all the, the, the right, wise things. It's not that. It's that Jesus himself is drawing people to him. And through us, you know, against all odds, through his resurrection power in us, we're not doing this mission by human power alone. But we are here, available and present to the work of the Spirit. And so I think we can trust that Jesus is going to keep doing his work in the world and having authority. And, uh, and, and him saying that really helps me to not be afraid and to work through my fear all the time. And it's not just that he has authority, it's that he's with us. That's the second promise there. And here's a picture of our leadership team and our pastor team because I, lo- I love this promise that he's with us and, he- and he's not going to leave us because that in the scripture there, the word you that Jesus says is plural. He's speaking to each of us, but he's speaking to the body of Christ around the world. Surely I am with you always even to the end of the age. It means his living body all over the world today, back then, today, and into the future. And around here we say that leadership is a team effort. So I'm putting that picture up there because I'm just so grateful we do it that way as a circle of hope. Um, I talk to a lot of pastors who are like pretty isolated and depressed because they don't, they don't have a team. It's kinda, they're kinda like do, trying to do it on their own without the accountability and partnership and friendship of being on a team. And, it, and don't get me wrong, it's like hard to be on a team, right? You guys know this, it's hard to work stuff out on a team. It forces us to keep our egos in check, to learn how to love, but I'm so glad we're committed to that. I spent um, a long time in college kind of theologically and, um, and uh, academically pondering the nearly impossible challenge of gender reconciliation. And, uh, I, and so I look at us sometimes with wonder, like, wow, we're actually going for it. We're actually doing it, even though we still live in the patriarchy, we're actually doing it, and it's because of the resurrection of Jesus. 
It's literally because of the spirit of Jesus in us that we can keep working this out together for the sake of others. Suffering through the shedding of our individualism because Jesus is Lord and he's not going to leave us. He's not going to leave us. Let's pray. And then we'll talk some more. Jesus, I thank you for your promise on that day and your promise to us today that you will live in us and that you will keep including through us, that you will keep drawing people to yourself, that you are Lord and that you're not going to leave us. Thank you for that truth, and I pray that you'd help us in all the different places that we're at to see that our little, the little bit that we have to offer um, is enough to be part of your mission. Thank you for this time together here tonight, and for each one here, I pray that you'd keep leading us forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.